to Unleashing Sister Saints, a podcast focused on strengthening women's faith in Jesus Christ and helping them wrestle through the sometimes complex gender and cultural dynamics in the church. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, a global expert in women and leadership, a mom of four, and a devoted member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I love the word unleash. I use it often. Now, in each episode, I include research and personal experiences and a challenge to help you feel free to bring your whole self to the Lord's work. Now, in this week's episode, I'm thrilled to have a special guest with me, Kristen Andrus, who many of you may know. She's a community champion who advocates for women and children and refugees. And she's also, I love this title, Chief Culture Officer to her husband and six children. So uh, Kristen serves on several community boards and committees. And as many of you may know, she has many people who follow her on social media. So Kristen is also a key member of the Policy Project. She'll talk about that, which includes the Period Project and the Teen Project initiatives. I love her energy, excitement, and how she uses her voice boldly to lift others. Thanks so much for joining me today, Kristen. Susan, I am so happy to be here. The name of your podcast, I just left my kids. We got back from church. I said, you guys, I'm going upstairs to unleash Sister Saints. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. It and is. Then, uh... And my husband's like, you go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I want to jump right in. I would love oh. for you to share with our listeners your story. Specifically, you combine parenting and family and faith and wellness and business and philanthropy and advocacy. Whew. So you're also the wife and partner of a very successful entrepreneur. So start us out. How did you get started, especially in your community work, but generally, and did you ever plan to be where you're at today? Oh man, like you said, the list is long, but it's all fun. I love it. Um, it's hard and fun and tiring and exhilarating, right? It's like, it's all of the stuff. When you say six kids, I'm like, who is crazy enough to have six kids? Oh my gosh, I do. <laughs> so, you know, balancing it and creating that balance is always tricky, but I would say it really started off when we had a couple of successful outcomes, um, selling sweet Jeremy ran skull candy for many, many years. And we sold, we kind of were able to get out of that and having a successful outcome. And then we started Traeger grills and we sold half the business. And so there, I remember there was this day that like deals always take a really long time to close. And I remember getting the text from Jeremy, the deal is closed, like transaction. Oh, that's what it was. Transaction completed. And I was in a spin class and I thought that I would be elated and excited and I didn't feel that way. I sat on the spin bike, you know, sweating my guts out and I just started bawling oh. and I felt such a heavy weight of responsibility and where much is given, much is required. Wow. And I thought, here we go. I can, we can either choose the path of consumerism and houseboats and planes and who know, you know, or we can choose maybe the path less traveled and give and give back and be out in the community and just do everything we can to fill gaps, show up for people, just, just really be there for the community. And so we picked our kids up from school and we went down to the VOA Youth Resource Center and we brought dinner. And that was a statement, right? We didn't go to a steak dinner. We didn't go 
you know, what you would do to normally celebrate Martinelli's, but we went and we gave back. And that is what we choose every single day ever since then, many, many years ago. My kids were really small. So what we did then looked different than what we do now, but it was a path we chose and it was a very conscious decision because it's easier to spend. It's easier to give your kids everything mm -hmm. they want. It's a lot harder to show up day after day, involve your kids, you know, not having them feel entitled. And so that's, that's where it all started. That is amazing. How long ago was that? That was probably six, five or six years ago, I would guess. So not that long ago. So you really yeah. had this shift. That's so interesting. You were on that spin bike and felt that. And and yeah. God prompts us in different ways. And for you, it came like this heavy responsibility weight. And man, have you moved forward to use your voice since then. And pocketbook, in some ways, those two are beautiful things together. Well, philanthropy is not, and this is what I really try to talk online about and to women who want to be giving back in the community and their world and in, in any small or big way is that the whole Melinda Gates is that philanthropy is not about money. It's using whatever resources you have at your fingertip. Maybe that's energy. Maybe that's time. You don't know what that may be to change the world. And so writing checks is the least impactful least exciting thing that I do. And we do have a family foundation and it's something I'm very, very engaged in, but I don't do, I don't write any checks unless I am boots on the ground, engaged, volunteering, showing up and really involved. And that is where change is made. Giving money, nonprofits need money and we need to show up, but you giving of your time and whatever you have to give. And by the way, bringing your kids along with you, that's where you change your heart that's where I think God changes us. It's never through donations, through money. So do you, you said, bring your kids along with you. So are your kids on the ground with you a lot of times doing the work that you're doing? Yeah, as much as possible. Um, you know, if it's my policy work, they're showing up to set up. They're like, I just, I want them uncomfortable. I want them hot. I want them hungry. I want them cold. <laughs> I want them going outside of their comfort zone as much as possible. We were just at a back to school night at a Title I school that we work with and there were hot dogs and chips and, and we were there to work. And my kids are like, I'm starving. And I'm like, perfect. You don't get a hot dog until every, all 500 kids have had their hot dog because we are here to work. And that is a lesson we do not teach our kids enough, right? These yeah. kids will not go home and eat dinner. You will. And so putting off that, having them be uncomfortable, having them give and serve, even to the point of discomfort is so important to me. So if I have a chance to bring my kids, 100% chance, I bring as many as I can. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And you mentioned you've really felt led to take that path. So here's my question. How has being a Latter-day Saint guided you and led you to success in these various areas of life? Let me ask you that first, and then I have a follow-up. Yeah. So I think keeping my our feet planted firmly on the ground, you know, and I think of like the tree and, you know, like really having those roots, because I think sometimes with uh, maybe financial success, it can be so easy to not feel humble, to not ask for help. And I'll tell you that we don't have anything in this moment 
that I have to get down on my knees every day for Like my kids are still making, oh, you know, they're not old enough to make bad decisions. I don't have any major health crisis is going on, but I know it's coming. I know that I need to be so close <laughs> to heaven. I need to be so close to bending at knowing that I am going to need, and I need help every day, right? But staying humble, keeping our feet planted and Jesus, you know, like one of our themes in our house is like, bring Jesus. Like when whatever you're doing, love it. bring Jesus. And I do that. And I look at his life and I look at who he spent time with, who he ate with, who he surrounded himself with. And by the way, I think some of us are missing the boat because when I go out in my daily efforts, I'm like, where would Christ be today? And I often feel like he would be outside of my bubble. I live in Holiday, Utah. And so I try to get out as much as possible. I try to get out into the communities that are vulnerable, out in the communities that need some extra love and attention and highlighting problems. Because I truly believe that that's where Jesus would be. And so he is absolutely my first and foremost example of how to spend my time, where to spend my time and who to spend my time with. I love that so much. And I, and it takes intentional thing. I mean, you have to be intentional in your thinking. Like you said, every day you can get off and run in and use your time for so many different things. But so every day you think about that. I love it. Yeah. So here's my next part. Have there been times that you've had to wrestle with questions or challenges to your faith? You know, especially, you know me, um, I talk about gender and cultural issues. And and how have you approached that wrestle? You know, the wrestle is real and the wrestle is every day. <laughs> um, what I've, I rely a lot on personal revelation. I'm from the Bay Area, so I didn't grow up in Utah but California had its, had its own things growing up as a young woman there. I was always kind of the black sheep. I swam on Sunday. I did synchronized swimming. And so I was kind of that black sheep where I wasn't always there. I was gone a lot. And I know how that feels. So I don't ever want to do that. So there was a wrestle growing up for sure. And now the wrestle is like, so, so one example is when I choose to like go my way, because in the end, the wrestle is maybe the way, right? Mm. The wrestle with the people, the wrestle is the way. And we're always going to have that. But sometimes I choose to step out because I don't want to wrestle playing hymns in my home all day Sunday. So we turn on worship music mm. and I have a date with Jesus on the treadmill every Sunday morning before my family wakes up. And I put in my AirPods and I listen to worship music. It's not Mormon music. It is just this Christian rock and I ball my eyes out. Oh. I, I sweat, I commune. And I'm like, this isn't like the quote way I've been taught, but man, I've never been closer than being on that treadmill, you know, crying, communing and, and walking towards him. So unconventional ways really speak to me mm -hmm. and that's okay. And as soon as I allow that and I open it up, I become closer to him um, than I've ever been before, but the wrestle's real. <laughs> Every day in terms of even priorities, I'm sure you hit that wrestle all the time in terms of priorities, what to do. And I don't know, at a certain time in my life, I kind of gave up with the 
trying to stay in any kind of box so I wouldn't be judged by other women, specifically or men. You're probably out, just have given that oh, up too. Absolutely. And here's what I've noticed. Okay, so my mom was always a little bit outside of the box. She was a great example. She was in the junior league. She didn't work, but we always had help at home. She wasn't maybe your typical Mormon mom, right? Yeah. So she was outside the box, but I will tell you every Sunday she came home and was like, oh, like, am I like, look at all of these sisters who are better than me. But when I watched her kind of own who she was through the years, yeah. like this is who I am and this is how I thrive. And this is how I am my best wife and mother and sister and friend. When you own that, it like, it kind of takes away other people talking about you. So I'm out there all the time, you know, especially online. I talk a lot about God. I share quotes from Jesuit priests and popes and, you know, cause I'm, I really do feel like God is everywhere. And so I'm outside the box, but I own it. I, and, and I, and I believe it and it helps me feel more comfortable in my religion because I can be outside the box and say, yep, say whatever you want. This is how I feel closest. And when you read, come follow me in scriptures in the different areas, there were, well, first of all, there's not enough women in the scriptures, as we know, but many of those women that were in the scriptures that were highlighted outside the box. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Well, so I was love Christ, it. Right? Yes, absolutely. So was yeah, absolutely. So you have done some very important philanthropic and advocacy work in the state of Utah, specifically for teens, especially teen girls. Tell us a little bit more about your work uh, with the Policy Project and the Period Project and the Teen Project. Yeah. Just what yeah. was your inspiration to get involved and tell us more. Yeah, so this is a really good one because I think you could look at the Period Project, which it, in its conclusion was free period products in K through 12 across the state. It was a huge, incredible success. But I want you to know that that started, as someone could look at that and be like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. That started because I volunteered with my kids on a Wednesday afternoon at Kids Eat, which is you feel lunch, you feel like weekend, you feel weekend bags. And so once again, I'm always trying to find out ways I can go and give back with my kids and we can have great discussions about it. So on Wednesdays, we would go and we would do these kids eat backs. And then they said, do you want to sponsor a school? So I leaned in, right? You can't just show up. You have to kind of show up and lean in. Yeah. And then I sponsored these schools in Murray who had really high needs. And then I leaned in and I said, what else do you guys need? Well, we need help with Thanksgiving dinner. So then I leaned in and I, you know, so it's like these little steps that you just keep saying, yes, I'll do more. Yes. And by the way, this wasn't a cost to me. This was me showing up and volunteering. So one Thanksgiving, um, I'm on the back of a huge truck and I'm hoisting frozen turkeys off the back and a social worker at the middle school um, at Hillcrest turns to me and says, this is great. I love that we do these meals, but what I really need are pads and tampons for my girls. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I know about canned food. I know about, you know, winter coats, but pads and tampons, like I'd never heard of period poverty. So I started, <laughs> so I went online. I raised about $35,000. Jeremy and I matched it. And we had like $65,000, $70,000 worth of period products in my garage. Like Jeremy, <laughs> could, you know, he runs big companies. He's like, Kristen, this is not sustainable. What is your plan? And I'm like, yeah, I probably can't do this forever out of my garage. 
So I called the Utah Food Bank. Bottom line, they come back and say, this is the biggest response when they sent out a survey about period products you know, we've ever had in the history of the Utah Food Bank. We partnered up. We're still partnered. First year, we bought and distributed 3 million period products across the state. Wow. But once again, that wasn't quite upstream enough, right? So then Emily McCormick, who you and I know very, very yes. well, came to me and she's, you know, she's much more policy driven and we've been best friends for a long time, but I've always been boots on the ground, volunteering food bank type thing. So she's like, just come with me up to the Capitol. Let's just talk to them about this. So we go up and talk to speaker Brad Wilson. Hey, what do you think about putting period products and all that? And he goes, great idea. Let's do it. So we walk outside the Capitol, Emily and I look at each other, we're crying, we're laughing. And I was like, wait, is it always this easy? Oh. And then, after, you know, after a year of hard work and bringing in hundreds of women and students, we rallied, we turned periods into a party. We went super positive. Um, it was empowering. We were vulnerable and we won the legislative. It was unanimous through the legislature and it was incredible. So then we've just kind of been going from there. I love that background, but you know, one of the things I loved about Emily was so good at the language and you too, but she taught men in the legislature and other men how to talk about this, how to talk yes. about period poverty and so forth. That has been something so embarrassing to most people. And so talking about it and not saying, I'm sorry, I have to bring up this issue, but talking about such vulnerable issues with power. I don't know. I saw your voice being so important in that work. Yeah. We re like Adam Grant rethink, like rethinking, we re we flipped everything upside down. We rethought the way lobbying was done. We rethought the way that you engage students in policy. Like we've been, it's a statewide effort. We're literally in our, you know, we just rethought everything and it it's worked to our advantage in a really great way. I love that. And to me, just that work absolutely overlaps with your faith and beliefs and covenants. I mean, we make covenants to give and serve and so forth. Any thoughts about that? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of, I, I'm the community champion in this policy work. And so I do public private partnerships. I engage the community. I um, get students on board. I get mothers and women who you and I both believe that they will be the ones that change our state. And so we've been able to get thousands of them on board. And But a big part of what I do is on social media. Mm -hmm. That is just the best way that I can reach, you know, 95 to 100,000 people on Instagram all the time. And so there's been so much so much, so many times that I've wondered is the negativity of social media outweighing the positivity. And it's mm -hmm. been something I've really gone to God with. Like I've really said, what am I doing? Is this the right thing for me? Should I be doing this? And the answer I have gotten, and it's been on airplanes, it's been at the dishwasher. It's been like it. a, a lot of different places. And, and the answer has been the same is you cannot let these stories stop with you. You cannot let these people's stories that you see and hear and sit in every day end with you. You have to share what's going on. You have to share these people's stories. And so that's why as much as this broad policy umbrella is so important, me sitting on apartment floors, mentoring families, dealing firsthand with Section 8 housing and lice and, you know, like all of these 
issues, getting to school, transportation, the list is so long. I can't experience those and have them stop with me. And my way of sharing that is on social media. And so I do, unfortunately, sometimes feel like I am called by heaven to be on social media. Now, that being said, social media can be toxic and terrible and degrading and all of those things. I have a sister who is not on social media. She has the best life ever. I just went and visited her in Los Gatos, California, but she's like, it's not good for me. It's not good for my mental Mm -hmm. health. And so unless you are so, so careful, I generally don't think it's positive. I think it's very, very hard to walk away from it on a daily basis, feeling completely uplifted. And so I'd say less time, less scrolling, be very picky, you know, with who you follow. Um, I try not to scroll. I'm always asking myself, this is a good question for you guys. Am I creating or am I just consuming? And if I'm consuming more than I'm creating that I need to get off until I've created enough and created could be in your church calling, in your PTA, creating a snack board with your kids. Like, I don't care what you're creating a marketing, you know, thing at at work. It's going to look different for everyone. But if you're consuming more than you're creating, you're going to be in that deficit. So it's a, you're walking on that rope. I love that. I've done research and, and written and published on the impact of social media, especially on teen teen girls, but it affects all of us in different ways. I have a love-hate relationship with it because I need to be on that, but I don't love looking at it a lot. So it is hard. And listeners, you know, we're talking about Utah because Kristen lives in Utah. I live in Utah, but what she's talking about is there are needs in every state. There are needs in every country around the world. And I just really believe that with the way the church has shifted, shorter meetings, which I love, um, all of that, and less callings, less intense callings, God is saying to us that going down and just doing your service within your ward is not the way forward. I mean, that's important. Taking care of your neighbors is, you know, important, but being creative outside in the community, making our decisions. Anyway, I'm taking time out from you, Kristen, but I can see you nodding. They can't see it, but yeah. you get yeah. that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I always say you don't have to save the world. You have to save your part of the world, Yeah. right? So what does that look like in your season of life? What can you do? Please get outside of your bubble, which is your ward, your you know neighborhood. You need to show up there. But also there's so many of us, my guess is a lot of your listeners who kind of have a little bit of extra time, energy, resources, talents that can go. I look at my daughter's high school and I'm like, Audrey, I love you, but I don't love Olympus. It's oversaturated with too much, too many parties, too many parents. So I'm going to show up for you. But in terms of school and other PTA, look at other schools that maybe don't have a PTA. There's so many ways that you can go out and save just your little part of the world. And um, if we all do that, I think we could make a huge, huge difference. I love that. Thank you. How did you identify your skills and talents and then strengthen them to share them? Yeah. How did you find your niche in how you were created by God and those talents? Uh, Yeah. So. You know, I often think to myself, what makes me uniquely me? What makes me uniquely capable to take on 
some of these different things. A, a really great example was during, do you remember when everyone was posting a black square for Black Lives Matter a yes. couple of years? And I remember, you know, like you saw the black squares and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do a black square. I have a lot of friends of color. I have a brother-in-law of color. Like I care a lot about equity. I care a lot about this. And I sat there and I post the black square and I was like, yeah, not good enough. Like what are my, and I remember, I remember I was sitting right, you know, 10 feet away from me. And I remember sitting and thinking, what am I good at? How can I help this particular cause that I care about? And no one has any idea what to do, but post a black square. So I said, I love to gather people. I love to host. I know a lot of people of color. I can entertain. I have a backyard that fits people. So that summer I hosted a bunch of different panels for oh. student athletes of color and had people come for influencers who were putting up a black square, but had no idea what to do. So I remember writing a list. What am I good at? And then how can that transfer over to doing something? Like I can't just sit and post something. I have to have my feet moving, right? I need to be going I've forward. I've seen you do that and I yeah. love it. I love it. So that is a perfect example. One other quick example, which isn't me, but for the teen center project, we're working on teen centers. And I had a friend who has a fashion Instagram and she's like, I'm going to put together, because our color was like a light blue, like a baby blue. And so she's like, I'm going to put together all of these outfits, these light blue, baby blue outfits that people can wear to your rallies and your events. Huh? That was her small way yeah. of using her unique talents. And by the way, it was like Amazon. It was cheap. A ton of people bought it, but it was just this perfect, you know, way her to give back and help in her own unique way. And so we all have that. We just have to look inward and figure out what we're good at and just go. And try not to just mimic other people. Sometimes we can just be creative and come up. And it's scary sometimes if we're not used to that. So our time is moving along, but I have a couple of other quick questions. What would you yeah. recommend to everyday young women or young mothers and women in general who wonder if they have any influence and how they could move that influence forward? Yes. So one is always be very cognizant of your season in life. So I've had six kids. I had six kids in eight years. You had them really close too, didn't you? I had eight years, four kids. So, so you, okay. you've well, had a I few mean, more. It's, it's pretty close. Well, I had twins at the end. So, oh. but there, if you're in toddlerhood right now, you're not going to be able to go up to the Capitol maybe and work full-time on policy. Um, if you have a newborn baby, maybe what you can do is different. You know, maybe you can do something from home. Like there's so many ways throughout our seasons of life. And what I would say that I did throughout that got me to when I finally could put my head up above water I was always investing in myself. I was always taking time to develop myself, whether that was exercising or doing a book club or saying, I need a Saturday to go on a walk with a friend. I didn't. I always say that my Kristen hat is not far from my mom hat. Mm -hmm. If the Kristen hat is so far away that I don't even know how to find it anymore, it's going to be a lot harder for me to go out and do good and be good and be who our father and mother in heaven want me to be. Like that is me as a woman, not as necessarily a mother. And so for me, it was always ensuring that my cup was full. And by the way, I'm the only one that could do that through this whole 
the last, you know, 16 years. No one else was watching out for me like I was. So I was making sure that my cup was full. I was asking for help. I was realizing that it was a certain season of life and I was only able to do so much. And then when I got to the point, I hadn't forgotten who I was. I was still uh. building myself. I was still investing in myself and I was that able is so to so important. Why. Yeah, I love that. I, that is so important. What we know, though, is that often women, you hear in the church, in the gospel, you serve, you give, you do all of these things. But I have met with and cried with so many women who have have not had their annual appointments with their doctor, have not had their mammography, have not done because they were serving for everybody else. And then they end up with cancer or something. So they feel like it's selfish to take care of yourself. How do you resolve that piece? You've just... Oh my gosh, because it's not true. <laughs> it's not. Like there is no... I, I believe... I don't just want to believe that. I know it. I'm a living example of when I take care of myself. And, and by the way, me just taking care of myself, that is a good enough reason. Yeah. I don't have to take care of myself for my, to be a better wife, to be a better mother. Me taking care of myself radiates through my entire family. You know, the chief culture officer, yeah. I am empty and I am not happy and I am not content and whatever that is, that radiates through my kids, through our family, through, you know, who we are. And so when I take time for myself, I make sure my cup is full. And by the way, I do, and I own it. And it's the best thing that I could ever do. Not only for myself, for my girls, I have four girls watching me. Wow. I have a husband who I show up for in such a big way because he shows up for me and we're both a hundred percent. If Kristen's 50 and Jeremy's a hundred, it just doesn't work. And so wow. he ensures that, you know, I get the time I need. I invest in myself. He sees the outcome that is better. And so I would yeah. say it's, it's a false narrative yeah, and it try, it. <laughs> try it out and then you'll believe it. And then your girls will believe it and we'll create a new generation of girls who really take care of themselves. That is, is so awesome and such an important perspective. So last question. I want to talk about our identity as women in the church and as mothers. So your kids are growing up a little bit. They're no longer, you're no longer a mother of babies or toddlers. Did you experience any sort of identity crisis uh, moving out of that phase as a Latter-day Saint woman where young motherhood is so kind of idolized in some ways? Yeah. Anything you'd like to share about that transition? It was such a hard time for me. Oh, really? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm not one to sit and play Legos on the floor, right? Like I always had some help because I, once again, I knew that I need to get out of the house a little bit. And I think this is a great question after what we just talked about. I didn't ever lose myself. If anything, I was always working on myself. I was always making friends doing things in the community. And yeah, six or seven years ago, I went full-time doing it. But before then, I was always engaged. Um, I was, you know, happier that way. Yeah, the young mother to me was like Kristen just trying to survive, not thriving. And so for me, that wasn't, and once again, we're all so different, but I was like, I can't wait until I'm able to thrive and, and I don't have all of these kids on me, which is funny that I had six kids. Um, 
but, but we're all different that way. Like I, I didn't idealize, I didn't feel that way. And, but by the way, owning that and speaking your truth, especially to other moms is so helpful. When I talk about motherhood, I have like thousands of women are like, thank you so much. This is so hard for me too. Thank you so much for saying that you can't, you're, you don't love playing Legos on the floor. I don't ever hear that. And I feel the same way. So if we can be more authentic and if you do love that, I'm so jealous. I wish I had loved that more. Um, but I, I love watching my kids grow up and because Kristen hat wasn't far from the mom hat, I was really able to take off in a really beautiful way and it's been so fun to have my kids, you know, along for the ride and watch as well. Thanks so much to my dear friend, Kristen Andrus. You are such an inspiration to me and so many others. Listeners, my challenge to you this week is to think about what talents and skills you have been blessed with and have been developing already. After you do that, then consider how you already do or could use those to engage as an advocate for an individual, for a group, for a family, something maybe you haven't done before, and write about it in your journal, even just a few sentences. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unleashing Sister Saints. If you like a particular episode or the show in general, please share it with others. This is Dr. Susan Manson, and I'm devoted to unleashing the positive impact of Sister Saints on the world. Mm -hmm.